Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode, well, episode one of sort of the new, uh, the sort of newly managed Madero Especial podcast. Uh, my name is DJ. I'm joined with, by my friends, Connor Goodwin and our guest today, uh, sorry, my co-host, Connor Goodwin, and our guest today is uh, Andrew uh, Avilas. Say hello, Andrew. Hello. Uh, so we'll be getting into episode one here where we talk about the things going on in the Premier League, how they're affecting uh, our fantasy league uh and the kind of trends jokes whatever's going on around the league and then some larger soccer topics as well uh, and that's kind of what we'll have on the table today we have a lot going on of course in the premier league it is the hectic uh, christmas season so there's actually another game week going on at the moment we had two games earlier today uh but i'm not sure if it's is it game week 18 or 19 connor uh it's neither, neither of those we're not oh, that boy. far like 15 or 15. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, this, yeah. So right now everyone's played 15 games. So this is the 16th week. Okay. So we're in week 16. We just finished week 15. Then uh, we can talk about those results. We did see two games today. Um, third one was actually postponed as Manchester city had some uh, COVID complications in their lineup, postponing their game against Everton, which I'm sure as the resident Everton fan here, uh, Mr. Avila's was none too pleased. Oh, I was, ecstatic thank god <laughs> they're gonna have to play it eventually andrew i know but it's better that we play it when we don't have a team bit off of two days rest that's a fair point actually i would say but who um, knows it's like aston villa made one change they're like pretty sharp today lester made several changes and so did um chelsea and chelsea like we're okay. I mean, they were okay. Yeah, I would agree with that. And if we do kind of look at the table and what's happening in the Premier League, you know, Liverpool are still on top. Leicester City uh, do have that extra game played after today. We did draw 1-1 today. They, as Andrew mentioned, they sat Vardy. Uh, that decision sort of backfired on them when uh, Iannaccio was unable to finish the penalty that Leicester won for themselves in the first half and uh, ended up kind of getting what was probably a disappointing draw for them today against Crystal Palace. Yeah, you're playing uh, Palace. Just start Vardy. Just start him. Easier, easier said after the result, but it's like, come on. Ten goals conceded. Let's go. Yeah, it's a little unfortunate for them. Everton, Andrew's team still sitting on 29 points, tied with Leicester there with a game in hand in third. Man United have uh, a game in hand on most of the table. Two games on Leicester. They sit in fourth on 27. Aston Villa... Uh, on 26 along with Chelsea after today's results. But again, a lot of teams with games in hand. So there could still be some shakeups uh, sort of in this top of the top to middle uh, part of the table. Uh, and if we look down at the bottom of the table, a little bit of a positive for Arsenal after they thrashed Chelsea last weekend to, you know, change some of the momentum against Mikel Arteta. They sit in 15th, Brighton in 16th, Burnley 17th in our relegation zone at the moment is Fulham, West Brom and Sheffield, which I, I think most of us kind of expected, although maybe maybe a couple of you guys thought that Sheffield uh, would be better this season. I, I didn't watch him a lot last year, honestly. And, and this is the first time I've watched him, which is unfortunate because they're doing so poorly. I think the results have been much worse than any of us expected. Uh, I, don't, I think we didn't ex- we expected some sort of regression to the mean um, after they overachieved last season, especially before the lockdown last season, after the lockdown, they struggled and they've gone from bad to worse this season. I mean, they've got eight goals in 15 games. That is pretty pitiful. So, I mean, I think a lot of us didn't expect them to recreate the form they had last season, but also at the same time, they're a distant last place and on pace for the worst Premier League season in history. I don't think anyone can really claim that they saw that coming. Yeah, I think I'd have to agree with that. I, I think we also talked about it on draft day and everything, you know, being careful about valuing some of their defenders and players who had, had done really well last season. Um, and I think, as you mentioned in particular, you, you just notice how shorn of good attacking players they are when, you know, McGoldrick, McBurney, Oliver Burke are your strikers and they, they just can't have, haven't really been able to get anything done and haven't really looked convincing, you know, even when watching them, if you ignore statistics. So um, that has, that has been a big negative for them. Uh, missing Dean Henderson has been a big negative too. I, I think Ramsdale has been okay. Um, but I've, I've heard and read some statistics that uh, Dean Henderson kept out like eight or nine expected goals last season compared to, uh, what Ramsdale has like put up this season, which obviously is huge over the course of a, 
of a campaign. Mm-hmm. But that'll yeah. kind of be what's going on in the Premier League. Let's get to the more juicy stuff going on inside of the Fantasy League. Uh, we'll go briefly down the table here with uh, our friend Jake, FC Burning Dan, currently on top of the table, 15-0. and 0. He still is uh, undefeated here this season. No one has been able to take a game off Mr. Burning Dan. Uh, Andrew, uh, Waverhampton Wonder, sitting in second at 12-0-3. Uh, Ian and uh, Holly with Ollie Ollie Oxen free and Bruno Kai tied in fourth and fifth at 11 and four. Connor sitting in fifth place, chicken teacup most salad 10 and five. And he is followed up by Brett and his team at 7 0 and 8, tied with Matt, Calcio, Timo, Werner, Cable at 7 0 8. Uh, Furlong from the top, 5 0 and 10, along with Dina's long throw at 5 0 and 10. That's Audie and Alec. And then me in 10th at 4 0 and 11. And then uh, the pure bottom of the table, 2 0 and 13 is Sam. Uh, Sam Vaquito and uh, 1 0 and 14 is Mr. Brad Bosch. Let's make Lovren not war uh, after this last game week. So, guys, talk to me about what happened. Maybe it's your team's last game week. Uh, I can cover some of the other matches that happened and, and how you're feeling about the teams around our league at the moment. I can start. Um, I mean, my own team individually is in a, a rough spot right now. <clears throat> I think. Last game week, uh, just didn't play well. The one before that, I had like eight players miss their games for various reasons. Um, so, I mean, this kind of happened. I had a little wobble at the beginning of the season, just like some inconsistency. My team will go from looking like it's unbeatable one week to putting up, you know, 50, 60 points the next. And so, um, I mean, it's a long season. I think clawing myself back into the title picture might be difficult, but um I think I have a lot of good players. It's more a sense of consistency for me. Uh, and I'm facing a tough matchup with Ian right now. So I may drop another one uh, in quick succession. So um, second half of the season, what I'm hoping for <clears throat> is a return to form from um, one of my two, at least Man U players, Pogba and Greenwood, um, hoping for Ben Rama to establish himself as a starter. I think the three of them all have high ceilings, but they've been difficult to count on so far. And uh, as I look above me, um, I think, you know, these are good teams, um, but, you know, everyone can drop points in this league, I think, you know, in theory. Mm -hmm. I think I'm, I'm waiting for Ben Rama to start as well. Uh, I don't know if anyone's been paying attention out there, but uh, David Moyes in two straight matches has selected a, a, a trio of midfielders that are all defensive midfielders, Declan Rice, Thomas Socek and Mark Noble, are his starting trio in a four-two-three-one, and uh, that's uh, that's pretty heinous. It's 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 not it's not the most fun to watch. <laughs> Andrew, how is your how is your matchup? How do you feel about your oh, team? Man, I'm just I'm just getting so intimidated by these texts, man. This can't. Uh, yeah. Um, wanted to get the fire brewing for the pod. Um, I mean, I feel good about my team. It's just. You know, you, you lose three matches and you feel like you should be closer to first, but Jake's been doing very, very well. So I had a chance to beat him and my own matchup failed. So that's on me for sure. Um, but yeah, no, I feel like the balance of my team, as much as I would love to have Danny Ings and Raul Jimenez in my squad, I think the balance in my team is good. And considering that James uh, hasn't played for a uh, fair duration of time and he's probably going to be like one of the top performers on my team and he hasn't really done anything yet as good. And then just a few, I think critical pickups, like you have to draft well, but you also have to waiver well um, and catch a few guys when they're hot. Um, so just picking up Giroud and, and I also dropped him to make room for my matchup against Connor and anyone else could have taken him for like this match, this, this weekend's match and no one did surprisingly. So then I grabbed him back and same with Sebastian Hilaire. It's like you just got to be aware of what's going on in, in key teams that are scoring a lot and then picking off some players where you have room. So that's that's where it's nice when I didn't do an emotional draft like I did my first year in the league. So it's easier to let some players go when you when positions open up. Um, so it's like Mikel Antonio gets injured, pick up Hilaire, um, things, like, things like that have come. You know, it's it's tough always to predict defenders when, you know, because I feel like that's probably the position that most people can afford to dr- drop and 
rotate players as they wish. But if you're just solely going for clean sheets, that's near impossible to get that right. Um, yeah, and I, I dropped Sergio Reggion, who Jake picked up. He just, like, the way Spurs have been playing. If, if Spurs get rid of Mourinho, that's, like, a different story probably with his fantasy points. But I, I didn't know much about him before and thought he was – I mean, he definitely is an attacking player, but with the Spurs, the way they're playing, he doesn't really suit fantasy because even if they get a clean sheet, it doesn't really help when you're doing like a couple of completed crosses a game. Yeah, I uh, I can't disagree with you there. I mean, Spurs are, are winless in five now uh, after a uh, their best position, I believe, in 12 matches in the last 10 years or so. Um I think their first after 12 matches, they were on top of the table and now it's, it's five uh, on the run here without a victory. Uh, and all those matches have been, have been pretty dreadful to watch. Um, basically just asking Harry Kane and Song Heung-min to try to win the game for his team uh, the entire time. But I think we can get into that a, a little bit later. We have a couple of segments on managers and their implications uh, on fantasy teams. Uh, if we do look around a couple of the other matchups that happened last week, um, I was able to pick up a win against uh, the bottom of the table. Um, not much to speak of there. Both of our teams are, are pretty bad, and mine was just slightly better on the week. Um, a very big result, actually, from Solo Zanogo. Sam Bakito's team put up 135 points last week, um, only second to uh, Ian's team at 171, which was a huge return for him, um, one that he really didn't need against uh, Alex's team, who... Um, We'll talk about this again uh, a little bit later. Setting lineups has been a bit difficult for Alec. Um, didn't help him against Ian as well. Uh, but Sam's team actually put up a good point total. I'm playing him this week, and uh, I'm actually kind of afraid of, of the matchups his, his team has this week. So I think he's done a decent job. I'll, I'll give him this much credit um, of, of slowly building up players on waivers that are just better than the players he drafted. And I was looking at his team today, and it, it's I don't think it's – you know, a top half of the table team, but I think it's a team that could give people problems uh, on certain weeks when they play well. Uh, and then as we mentioned, FC burning Dan, not his best week uh, for Jake, but did manage to come out on top of Matt, um, who I think has, has really been hurt by the fact that the team of Werner just has not come good for Chelsea um, as of yet with his first round pick. Yeah. I think we'll, we'll touch on this in the, in the underperforming and overperforming players section, but you know, some of the guys in Chelsea's attack, I think the ones that have performed from a fantasy perspective, like honestly their best performer fantasy wise, probably Mason Mount or Kurt Zuma, which you would not have tipped as those types of performance before the season. I think Mount is someone that came, came in with most of us assuming that Kai Havertz would be picked above him. Uh, and that Kovacic and Conte um, those two would be the likely starters deeper with Jorginho rotating in and that Mount might be more of a rotation option, but he's proven more of a fixture in the starting 11 uh, like him or dislike him. And then um, Havertz has been played a little bit on the wing, a little bit in the middle, hasn't really nailed down a regular spot, got COVID has just kind of seemed more peripheral so far in their season. And Werner has just struggled to to find goals. Uh, He obviously was a huge um, goal scorer in Germany. Uh, was big in key passes as well. Uh, he definitely has games where he looks really dangerous. You can see the talents there. He's really fast. Uh, he causes a lot of danger, um, but he just can't, hasn't quite been there from an end product what, what perspective. What position did he play in Germany mostly? He would either play through the middle as a number nine or usually like an inside left forward. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he's played both of those um, a bit. Um, seems like recently they've been playing him largely on the left. Um, but he started the season as a center forward. Ziek is the one that I think has a really, he's been really good from a fantasy perspective when he's played, but he's been, um, he hasn't been in the team that much, um, due to fitness issues. Yep. I think that is the case. And we can kind of get, we'll, we'll get into this as we talk about some of those overrated, underrated players. Uh, but we're going to move into our our kind of specific discussion points here. And we'll, we'll launch with the big one for our league. And the question for, for you guys uh, today is will Jake lose? And if so, when, how I'm not going to exact, like ask for an exact week, but how <laughs> soon um, for those of you out there who are tuning in, we'll briefly go through kind of who Jake has, and this can kind of bridge into our discussion about over uh, over performing underperforming players. And he's Lucas Fabianski in goal, Ben Mee, Nelson Semedo, Sergio Regulone at his backs. He picked up Semedo and Regulone off waivers at different points in the season. I believe 
might have done so for Ben Mee as well. Um, he was the first pick in the draft, so he has Kevin DeBrowna. Uh, recently picked up Anwar Al-Ghazi, which has boosted some of his early or his more recent results, but uh, didn't have him for a large part of the season. Uh, Jack Grealish, Sheridan Shakiri, Kalechi Inacho today, Rafinha, Theo Walcott, Yannick Vestergaard on his bench, along with Kurt Zuma, Bernardo Silva, Pepe, and Danny Welbeck. So there obviously has been some bolstering from his defenders in the fact that Vestergaard and Zuma, I believe, are pretty far and away the highest two scoring defenders uh, in fantasy at the moment. Yeah. I mean, with Jake's team, you can read his whole roster, but it's been revolving doors for a lot of those spots. Uh, I think one, one thing Jake's gotten right. And it's, and it's something that um, teams in the bottom half probably could do well to copy is that Jake always has 11 players who are starting and generally in solid matchups. Um, I think in a lot of ways, you know, Jake, belittled his own draft and there were definitely some picks that he can look at as saying he screwed them up however um when you identify bad draft picks from the beginning what it does is it gives you a leg up on the waiver wire and uh what he's done with that is turned a negative into a positive he got people like vestergaard and zuma who have um put up a ton of points um he's been able to snap guys like walcott rafinha um etc that have been dropped by teams that needed uh, bodies and he's turned them into good contributors. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I think the 15 and 0, obviously, Jake's had a really good season and uh, his <coughs> sorry, his point totals have been really consistent. Uh, and he deserves a lot of credit for that. And he's deserved uh, to be at the top of the table. However, you know, I don't think it's the case that like he's not putting up unbeatable totals every week. So it's only a matter of time before somebody outscores him in a given week that he's playing. So, like, you know, um, He's probably going to win his matchup this week. I'm guessing I play him in the next week and uh, you know, hopefully I'll beat him then, but and then I play him. Yeah. I mean, like he's gonna, he's going to run into somebody who puts up 140 points in a week in a week and he'll put up a hundred one time, you know, it, it happens to everybody. Um, he's been fortunate to avoid that and he's done well enough that, you know, he's putting up winnable point totals every week, which is all you can really do. Yeah. And I think for him, for his team too, like, overperforming players like Fabianski has been pretty decent in past years. Like he, he's been putting up a ton of points. And then like, like you said, Zuma has been overperforming. Like no one would have guessed that amazing pickup and Grealish, you know, he, he's always been a great fantasy player, but like Aston Villa are performing so much better than they were last year. So it's like those three players alone have really propelled his team. And like, then you, then you add in like, the players that are supposed to be putting up points, you know, De Bruyne and, you know, Danny Welbeck. So almost an unbeatable <laughs> squad. Yeah. For, for context. Should have uh, taken that trade. Yannick Vestergaard at the moment is 30th in total points overall. Kurt Zuma is 19th. Uh, Kurt Zuma has a total of 160. Yannick Vestergaard 148. And both of them are about 11.4 per match right now, which is still very, very high. They have 11, they're sorry, they have seven goals between them. Um, That's huge. Um, Obviously, defender goals are worth more than uh, midfield and attacker goals. Um, But, you know, both of those guys are genuine threats in the air. I think you could expect them both to score goals over the course of the season. They've just done it at a very impressive rate so far. Yep. All right, so we do think Jake might finally see an L in the next couple of weeks. These guys keeping their fingers crossed that that will be the case, but we've talked about some of the kind of overperforming, underperforming players. So let's go more specifically into that. And this is something that I know Connor wanted to touch on. So uh, let's kind of start out Connor with some players, uh, you know, either performance wise or fantasy wise, you can specify which or both um, that you think are sort of, we'll start with, uh, should we start with the negative or the positive? Start with the negative. Start with the negative. Fun to talk All about. Right. No. Underperforming players. Connor, hit me with your your one of your first selections. Uh, number one for me is Pierre Emerick Aubameyang. Um, he scored a ton of goals last season. He's always been a pretty goal dependent fantasy player. Um, however, this season um, the goals have sort of evaporated, and uh, obviously he was a he was a first round pick. Um, but so far this year, he's he's underperformed vastly. He's been six point six points per game, which is pretty much waiver wire material. Um, obviously he'll never get dropped for good reason. He's, a, he, he still is, I think a very good player. It's just, you know, he is one of those guys that has 
fewer statistics to fall back on if he's not getting 20 goals a season and you draft him because normally he gets 20 goals a season and he's not anywhere near that pace. Mm-hmm. How much of that do you think is down to Arsenal struggles this season? How much of that do you think is a regression? I'm sure there's a little bit of both there. Uh, at least I think so based on the games I've watched, but uh, I think it is important to acknowledge that uh, Arsenal has just been terrible pretty much yeah, all year. I guess I wouldn't call it regression. Um, like, I don't think la- I don't think the last couple of years were like weirdly I don't, like he wasn't overperforming. Yeah. I don't mean years. regression to the mean. I just mean in general. Okay. Right? Decline. You mean decline? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think he, he may be in decline. I mean, he's a pretty pace reliant striker um, who um, is on the wrong side of the aging curve. However, um, I think the goals have dropped off. I think there will be some progression to the mean in terms of chance conversion. Arsenal chance creation, you have to think, will go up. Although I think in a lot of ways, this Arsenal team are sort of bereft of some creativity. Um, and like they've always, like last year, they were one of the lower teams compared to their position in the table in terms of um, total number of chances created. Like they don't have um, that like chance creation midfield player that some of the other uh, big teams have. Um, like, I think you look at it, it, some other players in the, in the division, like players like uh, Madison, Grealish, Debrana, um, like players that really set the table up for other people. Um, Andrew will call out Mark Albrighton, um, James Rodriguez, like none of the yeah. Arsenal don't have a player like that, that tries to get, good opportunities for someone like a Bemiang. I think William was brought in to be that player and his, his own numbers have been really poor this season. Um, and in midfield, they're mostly relying on, um, on players that are not final third chance creators. Right. And mm-hmm. so a is going to have to make his own luck in some ways. Um, if he wants to climb up, I would expect him to be um, still around, you know, 10 points or so for the remainder of the season, but that's probably lower than you'd expect from a first round pick. Yeah. Agreed. And I think it's kind of easy to key in on him if he is kind of forced to do his own work. Uh, This is the fun and controversial question. Does, does that situation scream for a man say like Mesut Ozil? I'll let Andrew take that one. Sorry. I was making a, a kitty cocktail for the past minute, but what was the question? So Connor was mentioning that a team like, Arsenal sort of lacks a chance creator that a lot of the big sides have, you know, think James Madison at Leicester, think Bruno Fernandes at United, Mark Albright, Thomas Rodriguez at Everton, et cetera. Um, Arsenal rely on a lot of sort of more holding defensive. Not yeah. I think they need dealers. a player, but you know, it's hard to say if like Ozo, would he help? Probably. Is he going to play? No. So, you know, I don't know as much as I wish uh, that I knew the, And it's eating chips. I moved, I, I moved for a minute. Um, that, you know, for whatever reason, he's not playing. So it's it's not even worth, like, talking about him. Like, he's – whatever he did, he's a piece of shit, in my opinion, if he's not playing. I mean, from a fantasy perspective, you're a zero if you're not playing. So, yeah, fair enough. It's just like <laughs> – it's like, you know, you have to do something pretty bad, I feel like, to, to be exiled from a team. Unless Jose Mourinho well, is your manager. <laughs> I think it really depends on the situation sometimes. Like, I do think, um, like, if Arteta comes in and he says, like, I don't like Ozil's commitment level, I don't want to play him. Like, he didn't buy Ozil. He didn't give Ozil that contract. He doesn't have to play him. He can bring his own guys. He can play Joe Willick and Smith Rowe <laughs> and, and any, like, youth <laughs> team Rowe. players that have, like, you know, the requisite desire in his eyes. Um, but obviously when when you lose as many games as they've lost, then people are going to start asking questions like, you know, why is Mesut not in the team? If, if none of the players we have, if the less talented, you know, allegedly players are not playing well, why is the guy who is supremely talented not getting games? And that's kind of where we're at. And so mm-hmm. <clears throat> I don't really expect Arteta to relent. It does seem like he has solid internal leverage about a lot of these decisions at Arsenal. Although Arsenal from a front office perspective do seem uh, to be a bit um, dysfunctional uh, the last year, the last couple of years, really. Um, and it's hard to know really where the blame lies. You have to kind of assume it's above Arteta. Um, 
in a, at least, you know, if Arteta is or isn't competent, there's probably some incompetence above him, just given the way that things have gone since Wenger's departure. All right, we went through Aubameyang. Andrew, do you have an underperforming player you would like to highlight? Ashley Barnes, man. And I don't know if it's his fault, but he's got to get in the squad, man. I saw that goal that was disallowed, though. I almost picked him up uh, for the Leeds match. That was asinine. Yes, it was very unfortunate, I would say, from any Burnley fans' perspective. If I grabbed Ashley, man, I would have been so mad. I still might take him. Hopefully the 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 guys listen to this pod because they they're gonna miss out on a great player if I get him before they do. But yeah, I'm, I I think he's been injured a little bit too. But yeah, Ashley needs to be back. He's a goal scorer. He's a threat. He's good for at least five ten goals a season. You gotta have that. You gotta get him at the right time. And the time is now. Do you think? Uh, I mean, I know one of your favorites is Goodmanson. Mm. those two have a telepathic connection with the cross and finish, right? Yeah. Goodmanson, it's been so bad, man. I feel so bad for him. He, every time he gets, he gets a start, he gets injured. He's got a hamstring thing going on right now. Don't worry. I've been watching him. He's on my favorites. <laughs> I, know, I know you log into my account counter and look at all my favorites. There's about 30 right now. Just I don't have your them. password. Waiting, they're waiting <laughs> for their moment. It's some admin thing, though. Oh, I, I could not care less. <laughs> Oh, I know I you do. That. You look at it, you're like, oh, who did, who did <laughs> you, think, you get an email every time? You're like, who did Andrew favorite tonight? At, you think, you at think I don't know you what, <laughs> You think I don't know you at your taste in players is? Oh man, I should look at them right now. I'm going to go add Morgan you just, Gibbs. You should just write it, write them all down after this pod, and I'll just and I'll just share the list with you. Yeah. Oh, this is hilarious. Just looking at it, it just makes me laugh. Is Brownhill on it? Um, let's see. I did have him for a hot minute when it's like, I, it, I, I have him right now. Now he's not favorited. I unfavorited him. Um, he's a consistent player though, for like eight to 10 points. If you need that type of player. Um, but yeah, it's just funny on Instagram. I just see this goal, like, you know, scored in the Carabao cup. I'm like, I must have that player. It's the type of manager I am. Scott, you're second in the table. Yeah. Okay, uh, so that's Andrew's pick. Uh, I, I I will highlight. I mean, hey, if you think he's underperforming, that, that, nothing wrong with that. Uh, I'm I'm gonna highlight basically the whole right side, the right wing for Manchester City. Um, so that mm. is mostly Riyad Mahrez, Bernardo Silva, and even to some degree Ferran Torres. I think when he when he does get time, um, been playing up top lately though. He has been playing up top lately. Um, that much is true. And City have looked. Uh, 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 much better in their last couple matches than they have for most of the season. But I think me, me and Connor have talked about this quite, quite a lot is uh, city are just not what they used to be. And whatever the reasons are a um, bit of a shadow of themselves offensively this entire season, they're one of the, the few teams in Europe that you know, actively try to break down other teams. You know, we, we, we compare them to Liverpool a lot because they've been the two teams at the top of the table and sort of the top of Europe for quite a while, but they, they play very differently and, you know, Liverpool are a punishing team um, with players that punish you for mistakes. Um, they're good in possession, of course, but they don't play the same style of possession that that Pep's teams try to do. And it does require a lot of precision um, to, to play the way that City do. And it just has not been there from some of their players this year. And I think in particular, those those players on the right, you know, Riyad Mahrez has been okay from a fantasy perspective but nowhere near when you when you pick Riyad Mahrez for fantasy you're picking him for his points per you know game played you're not picking him for total points because he doesn't play every match but I mean last season he was in the top 10-15 players for points per game um, he's usually incredibly effective cutting in getting crosses he's almost always threatening to players and you know similar to maybe something we've seen from Aubameyang struggling on the left uh, to my eyes and the performances he's had he has been very languid um, and just has not, you know, driven at players uh, has gotten a lot of resistance and upon meeting resistance has seemed to give up very easily, which I think is something that can be said for a lot of Pep's squad this season. Uh, but I, I do think those players in particular out on that right-hand side have, have been sort of the biggest um, fall off for them, uh, both in fantasy and, and real play perspective. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I kind of struggle with some of the city stuff because I don't know if it's like, I don't know if it's individual, like part of me thinks like pinning it on 
individual players not living up to expectations is like oversimplifying what I think is a bigger problem, which is that like they have a sick team and pretty much every player that gets minutes for them is really, really good. Um, just something is not clicking. Like, I don't know, like mentally, tactically something. Um, Cause it seems to be really widespread. And like, I remember watching the city Lester game when Lester put five past him and it's like, they have like, people kept focusing on like their defensive line. They have Laporte who I think we all know is really good. Uh, they signed Ake, they signed Ruben Diaz. Um, they've got Cancelo and Walker playing as fullbacks. Like these are players that people think are good. Ederson obviously is a good goalkeeper. Um, they've invested a lot of money and they have talented players in every area yet they just don't play well. And I just like, at this point, don't really know if I can <clears throat> sit there and like blame, like this individual player is not performing up to his ability. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think the whole squad has had issues. I, I would say from my eyes, pers- uh, performance wise, um, between watching Riyadh this year and, and last year is sort of the biggest one I've seen. And that has also fantasy wise hurt the person who's drafted him a lot, which I, I believe is Matt in this case, um, because you usually rely on Riyadh to just put up a ton of points in the matches that he starts. And it just hasn't been the case. Um, similar to Silva, you know, Silva two years ago was a top 20 player um, in fantasy. And he, even last year, he, he was not as good fantasy wise, but was still very effective for the team um, and just hasn't been able to get in the team this year um, since the arrival of, of Torres. So, um, there has to have been some level of, of fall off there or falling out there, um, regardless of what that situation is. So, yeah, that's for me is uh, underperforming on that just right wing of City. But let's get off the negative and onto the positive, Connor. Who's your overperforming player? Connor? <laughs> All right. I was on mute. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, overperformers. Um, <clears throat> hmm. I think, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and go for it. I mean, he deserved to be picked where he was in the draft and he would go that high again. Uh, I think Bruno Fernandez is ever performing. Um, he, I have to think at some point he's not going to um, get this many penalty kicks. He's not going to um, have as many of his kind of hit and hope crosses end up in goals. Uh, he's, he scored a ton of points this year in fantasy. Uh, uh, for context, I, I, everyone, his point total is 303.5. That tops the league by 20 points. His average points per game are 21.68, which also tops the league. Yeah. I mean, I just don't think, I think a lot of what he does is, I mean, he plays, I described this to Jake a while back. He plays like he's trying to score as many fantasy points as possible. Um, like that's his mindset when he plays. And I think um, he's probably do a little bit of a regression. Uh, there are definitely some others, but I just want to talk about him. I think it could be true. Definitely a, a, a spicy take here from Connor, but uh, that one wasn't in my notes. I just thought of it. Not unnecessarily <laughs> true. Andrew, any players uh, overperforming that you would like to highlight? Mm, let me take quick gander here <sighs> i don't know about uh, overperforming because there, there's definitely some players in the league that are new that you could say are overperforming but it's like we had no base level of what to go off of um like personally on my team like kufal is someone that springs to mind and same with like rafinha like two players that people knew were, were probably like going to be pretty decent, um, but have been more than decent. Um, I'm trying to see it. like, like a Wobi, I would say is, is overperforming dramatically. Like, I don't, I really don't know what his, his points have been. Um, I mean, they've been pretty decent. I think like uh, he's gotten a couple assists, but like they're like assists where he passes them and someone scores an amazing goal. <laughs> um, but I feel like he's like someone that no one really pegged to be someone that you would start every week. And he is now. You could say the same with like any like Everton, like Yerry Mina and Michael Keane both have been overperforming. They've scored, got assists and stuff. 
Uh, clean sheets. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I have anyone in particular though that like I'm like oh this player for sure. Aside from I mean Ali Watkins has been amazing. Same same situation like new player to the league, totally crushing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that it it can be difficult with new players because yeah you don't you don't really have that baseline. Um, I do think Ali Watkins is, is just pretty good, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Yeah, um, and it's just, but... it just goes to show you, like, there's I – don't, I don't know if teams necessarily stray away from it, but there, there's talent in the championship that can be utilized in, with Premier League teams. And I don't know if like, – like, especially big clubs, I think, might be a little bit more apprehensive than others to try to sign players like that, which, which makes sense, like, you know – the, the fact that he Aston Villa signed him and he automatically goes in as a starter is just good for both parties, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think nobody needs to hear that message more than, than uh, David Moyes. We'll get in, get into that one in just a second. Um, for me, the overperforming player, and this one will be mostly stats based uh, is uh, I will highlight, I'll highlight one of my players and then a couple of players on the table. I, I think Shay Adams has, has overperformed a bit this season. Um, he's had some, uh, pockets in which Danny Ings has been injured, but he's also had a pretty good partnership with Danny Ings this year. And um, there were potentially some rumblings that he could be decent, uh, but was drafted very late. And uh, I think has probably played a little better than um, I or a lot of people expected. I'm not sure if that will regress. I think having um, Ings can be good and bad for him because it takes some attention away from him, but also Ings scores all the goals because <laughs> he's a very good striker. I think that is one that is uh, overperforming. I think one that on the table that's definitely performing is Sully March is currently 24th um, out of all players right now in fantasy for total points at 151. He's averaging 10.7 uh, or 10.8 points uh, per game right now, um, which is pretty fantastic from a team that is sitting in 16th position uh, in the table at the moment. Um, and is, uh, as, as really, uh, made that role extremely good. You know, I drafted Tariq Lamptey thinking he would be the outside wing back for Brighton to own. And I was wrong. It's Solly March. So, um, the last two I, I'd like to highlight, I think are, and, and this is, this would be an interesting topic of conversation. I think, um, for you guys, see if you kind of agree or disagree with me, but I think the combination of Neto and Podence has been, um, at least fantasy wise, quite good. Um, I still debate how good they are in real life uh, and Wolves have sort of had some ups and downs this season, but fantasy wise, they have been excellent. Neto is currently ninth overall on the table at uh, 205 points, 13.7 per game and Podence uh, sitting a little further down at 35th with 138 total points and about 10 uh, per game at the moment. So uh, what, what's your guys' thoughts on that last one? And uh, Jake, welcome to the pod. <laughs> Hi, thanks for having me. Jake is our uh, currently undefeated leader uh, of the league at the moment. So yeah, shit. I need to get a pair of glasses. All of his opinions, like take all of his opinions as absolute truth. I wanted to make sure that you guys weren't plotting behind my back. Look at oh, we are. Look at how red my face is. This is what you get from from you know a third drink in. I don't know what's happening. Oh god, must it must be the glare. Jake, what do you think? Do you do you have a quick response to that? I'm not gonna lie to you, Andrew. I was not listening to that question. No, that's fine. I, I, it was a uh, if Podence and Neto, the combination and the points that they put up has been surprising. I mean, they're definitely two players that I wouldn't have pegged to grab, which is why I didn't take either of them. I, I never thought Neto was that good when he was making sub appearances, um, and obviously, no one really. I think Jake and Connor, you can attest to this, but that Jota was going to leave for Liverpool. I don't think anyone saw that coming, which is another reason why I like wouldn't have thought to have grabbed Neto um, and Potence. Yeah. I mean, the guys, the guys is like maybe like half an inch taller than me and that's, that's not tall. So like, he's a lot more dynamic and the, it's hard to, to judge a player when they play the previous season, you know, for cameos for 10 to 20 minutes, you know, um, unless you're, they really like do something spectacular and contribute to like with a goal or an assist, they kind of go by, you know, it's easier to just be like, Oh, like, yeah, he, he came on, didn't really do anything. So, yeah, I mean, they've surprised me, um, especially Neto, I would say just because I just really didn't, I saw him play more than Potence and I really didn't think anything of him. You asked like five questions in there and I'm going to just 
go over a couple of points that I think uh, I would not have picked either of them high in the draft uh, because I would not have trusted them to start um, at the time when we had the draft. I think Jota was still at Wolves. Uh, we all assumed Triore was going to be nailed on there, uh, but both Potence and Neto are good. Um, Potence is a lot of fun to watch. He's really quick um, and like difficult to stay in front of. You remember uh, that nutmeg on Browner, right? Yes. Um, I think Neto is good too. Uh, it surprised me to see he has as many points as he does. He's one. Of, he's like what in the top ten, DJ? He's ninth. Yep. Ninth. Yeah, that's more than I would have thought. But he's a good player. So it, Jake, I, we. Oh, go it, ahead. Oh, it does seem like the two of them are going to have to sort of combine to become a striker while Jimenez is out, unless Fabio Silva can get his act together. So yeah, and let me let me actually hold this point because um, we'll talk about management and, and some of the teams here, and that is one of the topics I want to touch on in management. Uh, but I'll I'll let Jake get a get a shout in here for the last part of this segment. Jake, we were talking about overperforming and underperforming players, so I'll give you a, a quick couple minutes here. Can you name one overperforming and underperforming player, either fantasy wise, uh, play wise, or both that you would like to highlight? Um, overperforming. I think for me, Harry Kane, so far, I thought he was going to be bad this season. Uh, he was horrible last <laughs> season. To be fair to him, he had a bunch of injury problems, but you know, he's, he's not exactly in the sort of age range where you are confident he's going to recover from that sort of stuff. Well, Mourinho didn't fill me with confidence as a manager who's going to have Tottenham scoring a ton of goals, which he isn't now, but um, through 15 games or whatever, Harry Kane has been unreal. I did not really expect that to happen. Uh, underperforming, I think, um, Traore has been a disappointment just because he's not playing. Um, I'm just thinking of him because you just mentioned him. Um, anyone who plays for Arsenal. Timo Werner as well has been a big disappointment. I blame Frank Lampard because I think Werner is really good, but nonetheless, he is not performing well. And this is a brilliant segue into our management and its implications on fantasy prospects segments. So let's start off with Frank Lampard there, uh, Mr. Valerius. Um, Terrible at his job, just clearly out of his depth. Coming off another draw today, um, probably a, another disappointing performance, but there have been some questions. And in particular, a lot of his management decisions have have negatively impacted someone who was drafted very high in our draft and probably in a lot of drafts, Kai Havertz. So kind of talk to me about what um, the issues are for Havertz or, or what you think Lampard may be getting wrong. Um, I, I, I will try to be as unbiased as possible because I completely agree with you that Lampard is, is uh, not a very good manager. <laughs> I mean, Havertz is a tough player. Like, he's not someone like Werner who looks on the face of it like you just plug him into the team and he's kind of foolproof, right? Um, I mean, it hasn't turned out that way, but I think in the long run, Werner is still going to be a good player for them. Havertz is this sort of weird kind of in-between. Is he a number 10? Is he a sort of winger? What does he really do? He sort of does a bit of everything. He's skillful, but he doesn't have a clear role in the team. And all of that sort of stuff gets exacerbated when you join a new team that don't really have a clear kind of tactical identity. And I don't, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say, you know, not getting the best out of Havertz is, is a huge failure on Lampard's part. I mean, it's, it's not always easy to get the best out of players. Um, but I think it's a good sort of illustration of, why you don't want someone like Lampard in charge of your team. Um, Well-run teams with managers who have a clear idea of what they want to do, just don't spend 60 million on a player that they don't know what they want to do with. Um, if Liverpool buy him, if Man City buy him, if someone like Wolves buy him, you are talking about Neto and Potence earlier, when these teams buy players, they know exactly what they're going to do with them. And Havertz has come in and they clearly have no clue. I don't know what exactly the transfer situation is at Chelsea, who's in charge, whether Lampard's making those decisions or whether it's Petr Cech or whoever it is in the hierarchy that's making those decisions, but it's just not clearly thought out. Um, and Havertz is a good sort of illustration of that point, but it's, it's true all over the place. Werner's playing a different position every match. Mm -hmm. um, Polisic to me looks like their best player and, 
Mm-hmm. Lampard's at least playing him now, but he's not really building the team around him. Ziyech has been injured. He looks really good, to be fair. But yeah, it's just a bit of a mess. Yeah, he, he doesn't know what he's doing. He has no clear plan, and he's a prick. So yeah, and then the the, <laughs> oh, the, uh, the then the Arsenal game, he blames all these players, and it's like, all right, well, you should probably take some responsibility for this, maybe. And he didn't. He just said that everyone was good and or everyone was not good, and Mason Mount was good because he loves him. Yeah, I, I was going to say. Is there a is there a transfer that Frank Lampard could ever get that he would love more than Mason Mount? That come rice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think yeah, I think in general, like Chelsea, the I feel like what they do is largely just like sling the ball forward in a lot of instances, and Havertz is like really poorly suited to that. It's why mm-hmm. like they've been so much better since Giroud came into the team, is because like when you have Giroud up there, he can like actually control target balls and bring other people into play. And so like he provides some tactical identity just because his strengths and weaknesses are so pronounced that you have to play a certain way with him. There's like nothing that Kai Havertz can do. Uh, if you have Reese James and Ben Chola just slinging the ball into the box, like yeah. mm-hmm. kind of haphazardly. Um, and so it doesn't surprise me that he hasn't hit the ground running given all that. I think Ziek, um, when he plays is going to be good because um, he's probably as good as anybody uh, around it, slinging the ball into the box and like shooting from distance and all those things that you do when you don't really have that much of a plan. Mm-hmm. Ziyech also looks, I chatted this to counter today when I was watching the game. He went up for a header and he looked like a seven year old going into a game for the first time trying to win a header. Mm. All right. So we've gotten some thoughts about Chelsea's uh tactics and kind of how that works out a lot of crosses good for both tammy abraham and olivier Giroux, such as andrew um let's move on to that wolves point that we that I now, was, until was, i cut him loose that i was mentioning um so we were talking about potence and, and neto being very good players and adama trior is also clearly a very good player and, ha- and has been for them for some time um it looks to me that nuno has been trying to fit all three of them into the roster and with raul jimenez out um it's been Fabio Silva leading the line. It's forced them into a bit of a formation change. Normally, Wolves play a 3-5-2. Uh, they've been playing four at the back, and uh, I have to say, I think they have looked fairly disconcerted playing a four at the back. Um, you know, what What do you think? Do you think they can play a four at the back long-term, or do you think um, this is something that needs more of a formation change? Maybe Fabio Silva goes to the bench and one of them plays up top. You know, what are kind of the... Um, what would you kind of try to do with wolves and obviously what are the fantasy implications of that then for the players that are either benched or moved into different roles such as like for in your case jake nelson Semedo, right yeah i mean i i don't like the back four i agree with you uh the team are so have been since nuno got there it's so sort of built around playing with three at the back connor cody who's super good for them you know he's perfect for that role and not perfect in any other role. Um, you know, I, I got Semedo cause I thought, well, Doherty was really good last year. Wolves are still going to be a good team pretty much playing the same way. And Semedo's getting his minutes. Um, so he should be doing the exact same thing. And he has been mostly pretty good, not quite with the goal threat that Doherty had, but um, yeah, I don't like the back four at all. I don't think, I, they've had some injury problems. I think Cody missed like his first game in three years or something. I think Willie Bolly's had some problems, which may have caused the problem. When they played Liverpool a few weeks ago, uh, they played a back four and Liverpool just ripped them up. Um, they, they're just not suited to it. To be fair, I sort of wonder, a lot of talk has been like, okay, well, Wolves are this very sort of defense-minded team with dangerous players on the break. Um and they're a good team, but they're not quite, you know, you see teams like Leicester, Villa, Challenge, Everton challenging for the top four, and you sort of look at Wolves squad and you think, why can't they do that too? And a lot of people are going to say, well, it's the way that they play. They're a bit too cautious. They need to be able to dominate games. They are apparently can only play in the second half. Um, so maybe Nuno wants to mix things up and sort of develop the team in a new direction, something like that. Um, which is sort of fair enough, but that's the th- that's something you do 
when you have a full preseason off time to work on stuff, you haven't just lost, you know, one of your two of your best players, Jota on a transfer and Jimenez to this injury. Um, so I, I think they're much better with the back three. I think that's what they're going to do sort of long term. Um, yeah, I would agree. I think Wolves' biggest strength the last couple of years has been their continuity. Uh, the first year they came up, they played the same starting 11 almost the entire time. And this year you've seen them buy and sell a lot more than they have in seasons past. And I think in general, the guys they brought in seem like they're good players. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think as you go to a back three and as you change out like a vast majority of the squad, it kind of hit critical mass for them with the changes. And it just looks like a different team now. Uh, But I do think like a lot of these players are good. And if they can get some continuity there, they can, they can rally. And I still expect them to be um, to finish above where they are now, but um, you know, without Jimenez for a long time, obviously he's hugely important and not someone they have, um, a direct replacement for, um, very well on the bench. Um, but I do think that they miss having that system. It was providing a lot of continuity in addition to the players that are no longer, you know, the same starting 11 every week. But before you guys leave, we have to hit on the topic because I need, I need your opinion, DJ, sorry to, to take it, take it away from you, but they're going to go soon. And the, you guys got to tell me, do I need to get, do, am I supposed to be kicked out of this chat? I know I send a lot of pictures of my dog, but I feel like a lot of other stuff is very relevant to a soccer fantasy chat. And I'm always going to talk shit to people that aren't setting their lineups. I'm always going to do that. That is fine. Um, don't do that. Okay. <laughs> Um, we got four players that are dedicating their heart and souls in this league. I think we probably have seven total in the league, maybe six. Um, he takes a sip of whiskey. I'll, I'll field the, I'll field this. I'll be as diplomatic as possible. Bourbon. Um, I I think it's it's fair to sometimes call people out for not setting their lineups, but there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it, and it's possible to be excessive. Um, you know, some guys are doing working jobs, living in places where it's not always possible to get up at four or five, 6 a.m. to check things and switch things around. And the other, you know, and you can tell them, and if people don't do it, they don't do it, you know. Uh, The other thing is we all get to play everyone. If someone's a shit manager, we all benefit from it when we play them. Taco bye. So, um, you know, it is is what it is, but – uh clearly there are i haven't been in the group chat for long so i don't know all, all the unwritten rules but seems like there are standards about excessive posting and just <laughs> you can make a point once without making it five times you know so that's my uh political answer and i'll leave it at that and i think that's a good political answer to leave yeah. that uh, and it's like one, it's one, like last year i was like normally so in like a week and i told matt this too and like Okay, okay. No, like, no, no, no. I'm gonna shut this down. I'm sorry. This is getting well, no, I'm personal. not saying like like Matt speaks for the, the people, so that's his call. But like if if the chats like sometimes the chats get crazy like during the workday and I'm super busy and I mute the notifications and then like that's what I do. And I'm not saying like that should have to be done, but like if people are talking about relevant stuff about fantasy soccer and I know I'm like super swamped, I mute the notifications and read them later. So like, I'm totally fine with never posting a beautiful picture of my dog again. Um, but it's like, if I just hear complaints from like two people and no, like anyone can tell me anything at any given time, I don't give a shit. Like you guys know, I just dick around a lot in there, which is like, maybe it's, maybe it's a huge problem that I don't, I don't know about. Um, but also it's like, yeah. Um, I'm always been the type of person that I'm not going to hold someone to the standard that I don't hold myself to. So uh, yeah, people just blatantly are just choosing not to play players and it's a two o'clock kickoff. Like, like I get it. Like I've worked too and stuff and it's so tough, like tough to, to set lineups and people are going to mess up. But if you just straight up, don't start four players for two weeks in a row, then come on. Well, I mean, I would, I'm going to say this and then I'm going to go, but I, uh, I, I just think of it like, okay, well in any, like anything, any competition, some players are better than others. And not doing that is a deficiency in a player in the same way, like, mm-hmm. you know, being slow or not being able to finish is a deficiency. In a 
So like, you know, look at it like, oh, yeah. I get to play soccer. Jake, I'm just pissed because you haven't lost a game. That's that's what it comes down to. I mean, I haven't lost partly because I just got lucky earlier in the season. Like you haven't lost in two months or something. All my losses or all your losses, I think, came in a period when I was putting up my team wasn't even scoring any points and I was just getting lucky. Like I beat Holly week one because of an absurd Kurt Zuma deflection the last game of the weekend against he meant Brighton. to do it. Bye, Connor. Um, you got- <laughs> anyway, <laughs> okay. whatever. Um, I, I got to head out, but I'll see you guys. Uh, okay. Pleasure, and- DJ. Happy to yep. do this another time. Yep. Thank you for joining. See you in uh, 10 minutes. <laughs> take a shit. All right. And with a couple of people down here, uh, we'll probably. DJ, you got to message, message the group since I can't say that say uh we're open for for new guests we just lost a couple just lost a co-host and a guest uh well we can probably wrap it up here i think we've we've covered a lot of the topics that uh we wanted to get to tonight we have arrived pretty much at the hour mark here as well uh and we oh, can probably have more that. more topics i think we've covered most of them and if there's some leftover stuff from the managers i think I'd like to hear Jake and Connor's opinions on the job that uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is doing at Manchester United. I know they have some fairly strong opinions, as do I, as a Manchester United fan on that one. Uh, also Mourinho's job at Tottenham, but uh, we will have podcasts in the future, and those are things that can wow, be addressed. Wow, you're just, you're saying you, we just can't talk about those things. I mean, we can. Do you want to talk about them? Mm-hmm. I got nothing but time. All right, well then. Unless you want to cut it off in an hour, that's fine. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't want to keep anyone too long. Um, we talk about want... the let's talk about the Mourinho one then. We'll save the United one. All right, we'll finish up with the Mourinho topic here, and we'll save the United one for the next podcast. So we talked about Wolves uh, and kind of their adjustments. Let's talk about Jose Mourinho. Had a blistering start to the season. He was dropping Harry Kane deep to play the creative role, allowing Son to run in behind. It was working wonders. They were in first place after twelve matches, and now. They have gone five matches without a win here, two draws, two losses, and a couple of pretty hefty losses. The scoreboard, the scoreline, the 2-0 loss to Liverpool, and I think the 2-0 loss to Leicester, was it? Um, I don't think quite um, indicating how badly beaten the Tottenham side was on the day. So talk to me about what you think of Mourinho's tactics and how they affect the players fantasy-wise. You mentioned Sergio Reguilón earlier. Um but is there anyone else? I know you own Stephen Bergwijn at the moment. Yeah, well, it's just like the it's becoming, and maybe it's always been somewhat predictable in terms of how Mourinho is going to play. Like for the Liverpool game, I don't think that was the wrong the wrong way to go about it. Like they created, you know, three or four clear cut chances, which were arguably better than you know the two chances that Liverpool created during the match, and they could have got something, you know, a, a draw or a victory from that match. Uh, and when the, the Leicester game, it's like, so Mourinho's playing and there's his plan and how I view it is, you know, they're, they're having most of their players sit behind the ball and then he's relying on an attacking two or three players to, to hit off the counterattack, you know, mostly being Kane's son and who's, who's ever playing that type of, you know, number 10 pivot role in a sense, you know, and, and Dembele or La Celso. Uh, or Bergwijn, who, whoever's playing playing in there, he's trying to counter with like two or three players. Um, but now it's like, and and I I've talked about this on Topoke before too, and I watched the All or Nothing with with Spurs and fell in love with like the way Mourinho organizes a team and coaches them to to really live and breathe like playing well defensively and keeping clean sheets. Um, and you can kind of see now where it's they they have to pick and choose those moments though you know them playing against wolves and scoring in what they scored in the first minute of the game right mm-hmm. yep 50, and, 58th second and I, I didn't watch this game but i listened to the commentary on talk sport when i was driving and to me the, from everything the commentator said was that they just they scored that goal and then they pretty much just sat to defend the lead the entire time. Yes. I cast that game. That is exactly what happened. And that is nuts because that's, it's fine to do it against teams where, you know, it makes sense, but you can't tell me like every single game Tottenham, like you need to sit back and play off the counter attack. And there's, they have the players in the team. It's not like they don't have the players in the team to keep the ball. And that, that makes me worried for like, I'm, I'm a fan of Mourinho and maybe I haven't been in the past, but like, 
I do think he is a world-class manager, but like, if that's how, and maybe, you know, everyone has an off day and, but you can't have like three off days in a row. Like, you know, he needs to, to mix it up a little bit and try to play some type of more of a progressive thing. And something that I heard too, that was interesting was during an analysis was people talking about fans being in the stadium and saying that Spurs wouldn't be playing this, this way if they were at home and had a full stadium, they would, they would be attacking more. The fans would be urging them to play a more attacking style of football, which I think is true. I don't know if, if that would actually make them play that way. Cause it's hard to tell like how in a match, like how much the fans actually dictate, you know, a change in dynamic, like only mm-hmm. the manager really knows what he says in the dressing room and what actually happens on the pitch. So yeah. I do think that fans do tend to add some energy to a team. Um, I think they create moments or stretches in matches. I do think there, there is an impact of fans in the stadium. Uh, I don't think they change structure. Uh, I don't think yeah. fans in the stadium would change the way that Mourinho sets up his team. Um, it hasn't for years. I mean, even at Real Madrid, he was setting up his team against big teams like Barcelona to never have the ball um, in a stadium full of, a bunch of Madridistas with white, you know, white handkerchiefs ready to go, you know, at the slightest sign of, of a bad game. Um, I, I think there would be some positive effect on some Spurs players, but as you mentioned, I think it's very hard for some Spurs players to, um, to kind of break out of what's structurally set up to be that way. If you decide to, if you get a goal and decide to defend for 89 minutes, you're defending for 89 minutes. You know, he subbed off Tangi and Dombele in that game. Uh, in the 70th minute, which is fairly normal for him. Uh, Tangi usually comes off around that time, uh, but he was the best player on the pitch that day. Um, he, he had been absolutely fantastic for them, uh, breaking up challenges, you know, holding up play, connecting with Harry Kane and Son, who were the only advanced players for them, and he hauled them off for a defensive substitution. Um, and it, it really did allow Wolves to sort of have a series of play that, that where they could dictate what was happening. And you could kind of feel the goal coming. Um, as the match wore on. I think that's something that happens to Mourinho's sides a lot. It, it's very hard to play perfectly defensively um, for full stretches of matches over a 38-game campaign. Um, we've seen it work at the beginning uh, when maybe they were better drilled or people weren't as used to Harry Kane dropping so deep and playing a creative role as opposed to the high striker role. Um, but these are the sort of things that wear over a season. And it'll be interesting to see how Mourinho adjusts or if he does adjust after the Christmas period. But I think this is sort of a harrowing that could either be really good or really bad for Spurs. You know, are they going to adjust at all? If they don't, I think we might see a lot more results like this. And I personally think that will be the case because I've never really rated their side, if I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. But it could also be the kind of thing where, yeah, maybe they do adjust and become a little more attacking to help give some help to Son and Kane. Yeah. Uh, and and make sure they can. it's like, I just don't know if Mourinho's, like Mourinho's not going to listen to anyone. He's going to play mm-hmm. the way he wants to play. He's going to set up the team the way he wants to play. So like, it's going to be a telltale sign when they play Fulham, how, the, how they actually play that game. And if they play a counterattacking system in that game, then we'll know that, and they're, they're playing at home, you know, that is just going to be not good uh, for Mourinho. They need to dom like, especially after tying to Wolves like that, they need to dominate that game. They need to dictate the ball and they need to win by at least two goals. Like that, that's what I'm looking for as a Spurs fan and just as a neutral, really, to, to see if, you know, Spurs are willing to play. Because right now, the, their next three games, they play Fulham, they play Leeds, they play Brentford in the EFL Cup semifinal, and then they play the FA, FA Cup third round. So those are, you know, three matches that very much so they can win. And, and Leeds, especially, like that, they have to win that game. You know, Leeds have been so hot and hot and not. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's a, a true testament to like, if a, if a top team is playing Leeds, you, you got to beat them. You know, Everton played them, they lost. And that was a game that had a ton of chances and Leeds took one of the multiple chances that they had and Everton took zero of them. So like, especially looking at from it, from that perspective, like, I don't, I don't know. I'd be, I was shocked that game ended one nil. By the way, I cast that game. No, was that was incredible. That, that game I mean, ended one nil. There were so many chances. So many. it's like it's like looking at it from I don't know what if Leeds have had any aside from their opening game against Liverpool. That was probably 
the most they've looked at, you know, beating a top, a top four side, mm-hmm. um, and, like with confidence. Um, cause you know, they tied Arsenal zero, zero, but uh, they drew city earlier in the year. I oh, believe. okay. Might've been a one nil loss, but I think it was a draw. Nope. They, they won or they tied rather one, one. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting because we know Bielsa is not going to change the way he plays, and yep. it, which is, is glorious. And I love that. Love it. Um, but yeah, it'll be like I'm, I don't want to see Mourinho uh, get fired from Chelsea. And I don't think, I don't, I think he'll be given till the end of the season. Um, especially, yeah, with that factor, like I said, about the fans not being there and really hearing their opinions and, but I, he needs he needs to win something with with Spurs, and uh, the EFL Cup has to be the main goal right now. Them being in the semifinal against Brentford, like you can't you can't not make it to that final. Yeah, I would agree with that, and I do think it's important that he does win something. But we will see how uh, things develop after sort of this Christmas period. If things can turn around for Tottenham again, no wins um, for five on the on the run here. Uh, it will be it will need to be turned around, um, but. Uh, certainly after the end of the season, but hopefully he can actually do something with that season and make Tottenham fans feel a little bit better about themselves than they have for, you know, all of their entire history. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But with that, we are just coming up on the hour 10 mark. I think we will wrap it up with that analysis as mentioned, still a couple of manage managerial styles. I think we'd like to get into. We'll save that for our next podcast, along with any other topics that come up in our league. We will update you on the table when it does come out at that moment. But, um, in the time between now and the next podcast, which I think should be a couple of weeks considering the holiday period. I do want to wish everyone a very happy and safe holiday period, very happy, fun and safe new years uh, and a wonderful, wonderful new year. That is hopefully a lot, lot better uh, than the one we have all just gone through. But with that, once again, this has been episode one. I want to thank Andrew Avila as our guest tonight. My co-host Connor and our guest Jake are coming on a little bit late there. Um, we'll get the, guest links out a little bit earlier for the next podcast so that more people can try to sign up. Uh, but that will come out sometime around probably the 10th of January. So thank you again for tuning in. Hope you have enjoyed the first episode of the Madero Special podcast, and we will be back with more in the new year. <laughs>